Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, I am thrilled to speak with Peggy Hoyt. She's the founding partner of Hoyt & Bryan in Florida. She is the chairman of the board of Animal Care Trust USA. And she also has a fabulous podcast, which is actually a podcast, but it's a podcast. And she's the author of a book of the same name called All My Children Wear Fur Coats. Peggy, thank you so much for coming on Why Do Pets Matter? Oh, so excited to be here. Thanks, Deborah. Oh my God. Which part of Florida are you in so people can find you? So I'm in central Florida in the little town of Oviedo. Oh, wonderful. I love, I mean, I love Florida. Uh, I didn't want to move there. I apologize. Uh, it's a little too warm for me, but now moving to North Carolina, which may in fact be just as warm, but that's a whole nother podcast that we'll do on why we don't want to move to warm weather. But anyway, so Peggy, we always ask our guests the first and most important question. And I know you have much to add to this podcast. Why do pets matter to you? They matter to me for so many reasons. I don't even know where to start. But uh, first and foremost, pets are the only thing that matters um, for most of my day because I start every day uh, with three horses and six dogs and two cats. And um, like my book says, they are my children who wear fur coats. So that's why they matter. And you actually have branched out your practice. You're a trust and estate attorney in Central Florida, but you've branched out your practice to help people with pets understand why pets matter in your trust and estate planning. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a question that not too many people get asked by their trust and estate's attorney. Um, and right on my intake form, it says, do you have any pets? Yes or no? And tell me about them. And then it asks the all important question of what would happen to your pets if something happens to you? And I know that nobody's asking them that question. And they sometimes chuckle at first, but then they say, oh my gosh, I've never even thought about that because nobody's ever brought it up. And so I think that what you and I do is we talk to people about things that they haven't thought about before and then hopefully offer them solutions that can help them you know, improve their thinking around that subject. Well, you know, it's interesting. I spoke to a a group of trust and estate attorneys out in Suffolk County, New York, and asked them all three questions. How many of you have pets? They all raised their hand. How many of you have put your pet in your trust and estate documents? Maybe half of them raised their hand. And of course, how many have built a trust around the care of their pets? Um, crickets. So you and I both are taking the time to not only educate the pet owner, but the attorneys. 
Definitely the attorneys. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk to lots of attorneys over the years, and um, and they love the concept because we are all looking for ways to um, develop better, closer relationships with our clients. And what better topic to talk about than pets? People love to talk about grandkids and pets. Um, ask somebody to show you a picture of their pet, and you will be off on a conversation for at least 30 minutes. Um, and you'll both be showing pictures of your pets and telling funny stories. And, um, and it really brings to the forefront how important not only they are in our lives, but that we really owe them the respect and the duty of making sure that we think about them if something happens to us. Absolutely. My plan, the map plan, navigating the journey your pet takes when you can't care for it is how we both got connected. You were giving a wonderful program on Red Rover about how to set up trust and estate plans for your pet. And I, of course, was listening because I, I just devoured this stuff because everything that someone needs to do to care for their pet long term, short term needs to be written down. Absolutely written down. Um, hope is not a plan. Thinking about what you're going to do is not a plan. Telling somebody else what you're going to do is not a plan. Got to write it down in order for it to actually be a plan. Right. Over wine is not a plan. Okay, Peggy, you're going to take my dogs if something happens to me, and I'm going to take your dogs, your horses, and your cats if something happens to you. Yeah, not an enforceable plan. I hate to crush you. And the thing that really drives us nuts as attorneys, I'm not a trust and, a trust and estate attorney, nor do I play one on TV. However, it drives me nuts because people don't make plans for themselves. And through this venue, I'm hoping to not only get them to take care of their pets, but to make a plan for themselves as well. Absolutely. So yeah, that's one of the things that I talk about to people is um, great to have a plan for your pet, but it has to be within the context of a bigger plan for yourself. And hopefully if we're talking about all of those things um, with regard to the pets, then people will say, oh yeah, so if I don't make a plan for myself, then I really can't help my pets. And I love what you said about asking people, you know, how many people have pets? You know, yay, we all raise our hands. Over a hundred million households have pets. Um, gosh, if even 1% of those people really had a plan for their pet, I'd be surprised because I think what we see for the most part is the plans over wine or, um, somebody my has take my pet, right? Exactly. Or even just something in a, in a last will or a handwritten document that says, you know, fluffy goes to ABC. Um, I don't really think that's a plan. That's kind of a, a wish. Um, if I say I leave my dogs to my sister, Anne, um, there's no guarantee that my sister, Anne's going to take care of those dogs. Yeah. They will go to her. However, she could just dump them at a shelter. Absolutely. And we know that that happens all the time. Um, worse, I've seen some kids just open the back door and turn the pets out and say, good luck to you. Um, I get calls probably once a week from somebody who says, hey, do you know anybody that wants five cats? You know, so-and-so just died and um, they don't have a plan for their cats. Um, no, I don't know anybody that wants five cats. I know people that have and five cats. they all cats. have to stay together, right? Yes, they have to stay together, of course. And uh, and they're all over the age of 12. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they're just, you know, money going out. So tell me a little bit, you know, this is, this is near and dear to my heart because I broke my ankle in 2013 and built the map plan, which started titled as I'm not dead yet because we all plan for death. However, you and I both talked at length about, it's not about death. It's about death and it's about incapacity. It is about that. And, and I love your seven D's, Deborah. That to me was like such a great thing. And I'm like, I've been impressing people all week that I can actually recite all of them from time to time. But um, one of the most important ones in there is dementia yeah. um, that we don't always think about. We just simply think that, oh, well, maybe one day we're going to go to bed. We're not going to wake up and uh, that'll be the end of it. But that is not the end of it. And in my practice, where I deal with a lot of um, families that are facing long-term care crises with their family, um, none of those people that end up in those nursing homes ever thought they were going to be in a nursing home. In fact, interview a thousand people on the street and 1,000 of them will tell you, I am never going to a nursing home. And yet go to a nursing home and every single one of those people said that, who's there. So we know that it happens and we need to have a plan. And we can't wait until we're in the nursing home to create a plan because it's pretty much too late by then. So let's all do a plan now. I, I sometimes say it's, it's like the old Fram oil filter commercial. Pay me now or pay me later. Um, but let's plan now because it's cheaper. It's easier. Um, you get to be the participant in the plan and you get to say what you want and how you want it who gets fluffy and how much money is going to go along with fluffy and who's going to be the backup. And I know that's something that you really focus on a lot too, is you can't just pick one person because I might pick you today and tomorrow you might break your ankle again. Right. Yep. And you say, yeah, it was a great plan yesterday, but today can't do it. Yep. And I, I love the pay me now, pay me later, but you know, who's paying, right? It's the pet who's paying because there's no plan. And that's the last thing people want is for their pets to be in limbo yet. They really true. I mean, they truly believe I've had so many people sit through my map program. When I give the big program that, that has everybody complete the plan. Uh, I have them say, I've got this covered, Deborah. My kids are going to take the dogs. And, and I tell them this story, which is kids who would drop the dog off at animal care and control right after their mother died. And their mother left $5,000 in the will to the caretaker of Fluffy. And they wanted that $5,000 back in the will. And they came to me to try to mediate between the lovely older couple who went to the animal care and control and adopted the dog. And they said, we, well, they didn't take that dog with the anticipation of a windfall. And I said, yes, but your mother worked in strange ways from heaven. And she had those people go and pick up Fluffy because you didn't do what you said you would do. Right. And when I tell that story, people go, oh no, my kids would never do that. Well, I bet if we drag this woman up from the grave and said to her, do you think your kids are going to dump your dog off at animal care and control? Uh, she would say no. Right. Well, and I always say that people always say their kids aren't going to fight either. Yeah. Uh, and then they do. Yeah. I mean, over over silly things. So I want to explore a little further the redundancy thing, because for me, um, I have two sons and my sons love my dogs. One son lives with a cat and my dogs are very prey driven. So living with a cat might not necessarily be the best place for them. Sure. My other son lives in Florida, in Vero Beach, um, in a no pet building. He chose the apartment. I mean, you know, if you want a dog in an apartment, you need to find an apartment that allows a dog. Uh, so, it, you know, here they are, the two of them. They both raise their hand. We'll take your dogs, mom. And neither of them can. 
Right. I, I, I have four people lined up. The first are my husband and my sons. And then I said, listen, if you can't take it, which I know they can't, then these are the three people. And I had a woman in one of my programs come up to me at the end of the program and make the usual statement. I'm all set. My kid's taking it. And then she came back to me um, and said, you know, I'm doing the whole program. And I said, what changed your mind? She goes, I don't want my daughter to have any guilt because she can't take my daughter. Right. I want her to know that if, in fact, she can't take my dogs, these are the three people that I would like. So when you said you have to have a say in where your pets go, this is the way to have a say in where your pets go. And trust and estate attorneys can put it in. I want you to talk a little bit more about the trust, because when I say the map plan, I always say just incorporate that because you can change the pet's name. And I want you to let me know if that's actually true. I, I believe it is. But if you refer to the pets in the map plan, will that be OK for the pet trust? Because that was a little disconcerting when you spoke for Red Rover, that it, the dogs had to be delineated. And I was hopeful that you could clarify that for all of my listeners. So I think it would be important, at least from that standpoint, I know when I draft a pet trust that I, I may identify the actual animals that are alive today, but I also go ahead and define my pets as any pet I might own at the time of my disability or any pet that I might own at the time of my death. Um, because those faces do change um, over time. Uh, sometimes because they've grown old and passed away, sometimes because I'm um, inviting new pets into my household. Um, and I love the idea that you have all this redundancy, but people are people, right? And people don't live forever and people's lives change in a minute. And so as part of that redundancy, I really like to name an organization as the last choice. Absolutely. I do that all the time because I, I always say if you if you got the dog from a rescue, make that rescue the last remainder. If you have a purebred dog, then look at the rescues the purebred dog group has. Um, there there is there is a, a remainder man, I call them, as the last possible hope um, to have the pet. Absolutely. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Um, and sometimes, and I think sometimes people aren't aware of this, but if you've gotten a dog from a breed rescue, sometimes that contract that you sign says, if something happens to you, you have to give that animal back to us. Right. So I think it's really important to, A, make sure you pay attention to that. And B, that was one of the reasons we created Animal Care Trust USA, so that people would have a last resort option yep. so that we could help with either... Um, so I always say there's three forever loved options. Number one is you want your pet to stay at home. Yeah. I'm that person. I don't want my pets to go anywhere. I want Deborah to move into my house right. and take care of my dogs and my cats and my horses so that their life doesn't change. Um, that's not going to be reasonable for everybody. Um, some people will have to have their pets rehomed. I call that forever family. Um, finding a new family that's willing to take on that responsibility. And then the last option I call forever sanctuary. Um, so maybe you have the type of pet, a horse or a bird or um, just a hard to place pet. That oh, really, a snake. Or a snake, yeah. <laughs> um, gosh, over 9 million households have snakes. Yeah. Um, not that I'm not going to sign up necessarily to take care of that animal personally, but you know, if we have to rehome it or we have to send it to a snake sanctuary, um, we would definitely do that. But sanctuaries are great options for pets that maybe are not going to be um, 
good candidates for another home, or maybe they have health-related issues or um, a whole host of things that could potentially come up. So let me ask you a question. If you leave money in a pet trust and you're you know, older than say 60, 65, should you make that pet trust irrevocable or not? Um, I think you can make it revocable during your lifetime, but you want it to become irrevocable upon your death. And there's a couple different ways to do that. You can include a pet trust as what I call a standby trust as part of a bigger estate plan, or you can create a standalone pet trust. Um, and I've done it both ways. It just depends on what the clients want to do. Um, and then, of course, through Animal Care Trust USA, we now offer the option for people to join a community pet trust that we call the Act for Pets Community Pet Trust. So for people that don't want to go out and draft a custom trust or incur that kind of expense, here's an opportunity to be able to join a trust, name some options for how you want your pet to be cared for, and then know that there's going to be somebody making sure that the terms of that trust are followed. That is great. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that's such a great opportunity for people who, you know, first of all, they can learn about it. And second of all, they can educate their attorney about it. Right. So we just want to make it super simple for people. So um, it's really stolen from the special needs trust arena where um, for individuals with disabilities, instead of creating their own trust, there's this whole subset of the U.S. code um, that allows them to create what's called a pooled trust or a community trust. And so I just kind of stole that um, that concept from the special needs community and said, well, if we can do it for special needs people, why can't we do it for pets? Um, and so I crafted this agreement. There's a joinder agreement and people just sign the joinder agreement. They nominate the pets that they want to be taken care of. We make sure that they have proper funding and then they select, do they want forever home, uh, forever sanctuary or forever family? And, um, and then make sure that they have the resources to put behind them. I love those three um, because those three categories, because when you look at commercials on television now, people who are going through cancer, they say, do you want to be home to have the cancer treatment or do you want to be in the hospital? At every time they're at home, they show them petting their dog. I often say the cat people should really raise their hand and say, hey, wait a minute, um, I'm petting my cat. Uh, the horses might also be something that people who are suffering with um, fighting a disease are also, I mean, you and I both know, because we've both had horses, the empathy that comes from a horse. Absolutely. And every time I visit an assisted living facility, I always ask them where the stables are. Yeah. And uh, they laugh at me, but I'm like, no, there's lots of people that would not want to be here if they didn't have an opportunity to interact with um, horses. And you're right. Horses, most empathic animals on the planet. Um, we, we don't recognize that often enough, probably. Um, the other thing I talk to folks about it, and maybe you'll get a kick out of this is what I call Biff and Bambi protection. Mm -hmm. So I always tell the story about how, if I were to pass away, um, my husband on the way home from my funeral might stop off at a local, uh, pub and, uh, <laughs> he might meet Bambi there. Um, and Bambi might become so enamored with my husband that she decides that she wants to take my place. Um, but the difference is that maybe she doesn't want to live on a farm and maybe she isn't fond of horses and maybe she's allergic to cats and maybe six dogs is just way too many dogs. Um, and maybe she just says to my husband, I want to live at the beach. Then what does he do? Yeah. 
And even he may have the very best intentions in the whole wide world, but as soon as he has that new love in his life, that could change everything. And that's fine. He can find Bambi. He and Bambi can go live at the beach, but my pets are going to live at my house and I'm making sure that that's going to happen with the use of a pet trust. That is my biggest um, mantra. If you visualize how your animals are to live out the rest of their lives, because they're really relying on you to have that vision. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have that vision today because you're alive and you're not incapacitated. However, nobody has a crystal ball. And for me, it, it really drives me nuts when people say, no, I've got this in place and it's never in writing and they never have a plan. Um, and they, they think it's too expensive. They think it's really expensive to do all of this. And I go, you know what? It's as expensive as you can afford because right. writing a map plan is something you can do to at least give people direction. And then if you can hire an attorney to make a will, which you should, you can always incorporate that in some way under the state law of wherever you are, uh, to to identify what you want to do with your pets and then you can always use um the animal trust usa to have the ability to build it um in a way that probably works outside florida and throughout the united states because we can craft these things you just have to ask right and we really are trying to make them affordable so that nobody can say i can't afford that um we're also looking and hopefully somebody's listening that um can help us out, but we're looking for uh, a life insurance partner. Um, so, you know, if you've ever read through the AARP magazine that they have all these life insurance advertisements that talk about how you can um, buy $5,000 or $10,000 worth of life insurance with no medical underwriting, very low monthly premiums. And you know what? Five or $10,000 of life insurance would make a huge difference in the life of your pet. Right. You're not talking about a million dollars. You're talking about five, 10, maybe $25,000. When I go to law firms to talk about how to talk to their clients about pets, all they ask me, and I'm sure this drives you nuts as well. Well, how much do I have to leave to the pet in the will? And I'm like, did I just speak Greek until question and answer time. I'm talking about this living document that has to be there before they die as well as after they die. Right. Absolutely. And so um, I, I really give kudos to one client of mine who bought a million dollar life insurance policy solely for the purpose of planning for his pets. And yeah. um, I just thought that was an awesome thing for him to do because he wanted to make more than sure that they were never going to run out of resources, that it wasn't going to impact his ability to spend money during his lifetime, and that no matter how long they lived, and he had some really long lived animals, he had some tortoises that could live a really long time. Yep, um, and parrots. I'm yeah, sure. yep. that we would never run out of money. Yeah. And then he was happy to say anything that's left can go to charity. At the end of the day, um, it's a win-win for everybody all the way around. It really is. And so I just have one question. A geriatric attorney friend of mine who I love, Linda Rudlisky, said to me, Deborah, um, how do you stop Medicare from invading that trust if you don't make it irrevocable while you're alive? Um, okay. So Medicare, not the problem. It oh. will be Medicaid. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Get those two up because this we is all not, do. I will immediately say this is not my um, magnificence. Yeah, so we all do. That could be a potential problem, which might be where the um, the Act for Pets Community Pet Trust might come in, because if those assets were transferred to the trust during the um, client's lifetime um, and a sufficiently long period of time went by. Like five um, years, right. 
five years so that we weren't involved in that look back period. But honestly, the look back period, it's not a hard and fast thing because if you were making that plan, not as a way to become eligible for Medicaid, but for a legitimate planning purpose, which of course you were, um, there's a greater than even likelihood that that would not be considered an uncompensated transfer. Um, at least I would be willing to argue that because that is legitimate planning for um, a person, a member of your family. I know we call our dogs people when they're really not, but um, but they are members of our family. Um, that we aren't doing that for the sole purpose of becoming eligible for Medicaid. Yeah, and if you're old um, and you do have that issue with Medicaid, it might be worth your while to put a small amount of money if you don't want to be part of the other pet trust and your own pet trust, a small amount of money that is irrevocable. And then of course, leave it to a wonderful, um, charity at the end because you Absolutely. might not. Yes. And we do Medicaid asset protection trusts all the time. And you could incorporate pet trust provisions in those and you could put money there. The other good thing going back, not to just kind of harp on the insurance issue, but, um, a term life insurance policy isn't countable for Medicaid purposes anyway. Yeah. Um, so for after death planning, that would work great, but for disability type planning, that's when we have to have some resources that we can put to work today. Yeah. And the earlier we plan, the better. Absolutely. So this is why this conversation is so important because people don't, um, A, they don't think, and I know this is the nemesis of your practice, people don't think they need a will. They're never going to die. Um, and if they do die, they're dead. What's the problem? Um, the problem is that you might be disabled, you might be delayed, you might have a disability. So these are things that we don't anticipate. Um, however, we if we have pets, I mean, especially now during COVID, so many animals were left behind, right. totally unintentionally. People left because they were going to get tested and were popped in the hospital because their blood um, oxygen level was 32. And they probably didn't even know they were that sick. And the pets were left behind and animal care and control came and took them. Or you fall down, break your hip, break your, you know, because none of us bounce after 21. I'm just telling every 21 year old who's out there, once you hit 30, you don't bounce anymore. You sometimes break. And, uh, you know, one woman here in New York was taken out on a stretcher and her nine-year-old Afghan was taken with her. And she said, where are you taking my dog? And they said, we'll take an animal care and control and it'll be there when you get out. So four weeks, six weeks later after rehab, she went to get her dog who had been placed because the time that animal care and control had to hold it had expired. She didn't have her phone. So when they called her, she didn't answer. They thought the dog was abandoned. They gave it to Afghan Rescue. Afghan Rescue placed it. And you know what? I loved when you said, read the rescue contract. Well, the rescue contracts don't allow anyone to know who the dog is placed with. Right. Well, um, I guess that the good news to that story is that the dog was actually placed and not euthanized. Right. Because um, that would have been a sad yeah, Because it was an Afghan and not a bully breed. Right. Exactly. One of the things that you really opened my eyes up to, and I don't think that we can focus on this enough, is um, if you have a huge heart and you're an adopter of bully breeds, you absolutely have to have a plan for those pets. Um, I didn't really think about that, Deborah, until you brought that up because, yeah, there aren't a lot of people that are necessarily going to be willing to take on your bully breed pet, even out of the goodness of their heart, even if you leave them a ton of money. Um, and you do not want that loved pet to end up back in the shelter environment. 
Right. And and so you're affiliated or, or rescue the dog from a bully rescue, which is great. Um, they would love to take it back. You may be required to give it back if something happens. However, they might be full. You know, the, right. the inn might be full. And if that's the case, what are they going to do? So, you know, we were talking about this before we came on the air. I always suggest to my um, bully breed owners and people who co-own dogs, talk to the rescue, talk to the co-owners and say, listen, I'm making my estate plan. I know that I have agreed to give the dog back to you if something happens to me. However, like that woman who came to me and said, I don't want to make my daughter feel guilty. Right. Options say, listen, my neighbor loves this dog. My son loves this dog. My nephew loves this dog. You know, if, if you're full, um, and if you can work out an agreement, which we're doing right now, because you know, Peggy is the person who loves my dog. If something happens to me, I want Peggy to have the dog. She is an assigner to this rescue contract or to this co-ownership. Then you have already started that conversation between Peggy and Deborah, the person who's going to you know, take the, the rescue or the co-owner and the person who might take the dog if something happens to me. So you, you create that um, non emergency discussion before you need it. Absolutely. And I think if you involve the rescue organizations or the co-owners in those conversations, they might even heave a little bit of a sigh of relief right. um, because they really don't want those dogs back um, or those cats or those horses. They want to know that they're going to be in a good home. And if you've done the due diligence, you've picked out the good home and you're leaving the appropriate amount of resources um, for those animals, um, I can't imagine the situation where they're going to be so stubborn to say, no, not going to allow that to happen. Right. Um, Especially if you do it up front and you're, you're totally above board. I had a, 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 a and get them to sign off on it. Right. Oh, well, you know, yeah. you and I are all about write it down, write it down, right. date yeah. it, sign it, because it is really key that you provide those next steps. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this conversation is you need to find an attorney who understands that pets are really more than just a chair. Um, so it's not give it to anybody. Uh, you have to provide for it long-term, short-term because you might need someone to come in just because you've broken your ankle. Here I am. Right. Um, or I'm fighting cancer or whatever. I often go into those independent living facilities where they allow 20 pound dogs. Right. And you and I have to find a way to get in there because they have you fill out the form when you arrive, who's the dog, who to call when the dog, when you go to the hospital and the dog needs care. And I sit there and I go, you really need to find somebody who um, is, is going to be more than just the kids. Because when I go to those facilities to talk about this, all the older owners come up and say, my daughter, my, my daughter, my son are not taking this dog. If something happens to right. me, I know you get that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they know that the kids probably won't. So yeah, having an alternative plan and yes, we just got to keep talking about this every single day, every single day, you tell two people, I'll tell two people, they hopefully they'll tell two people and pretty soon the whole world will be talking about this. I feel like this year in particular, more people are talking about planning for their pets than ever before. Um, but that's because I think more people are talking about planning for themselves than ever before as well. Oh my gosh, mortality is a real thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, I always say that as Americans, we're truly, truly optimistic people because we always say when I win the lottery and if I die. 
Um, well, good luck with that one, right? <laughs> yeah, it's more, it's, it's, it's a little backwards. And, and of course, we've spoken before about how animals have actually gotten most people through this pandemic period. And right. so animals have become even more um, important and people are more aware of making sure these pets are uh, cared for. They just don't know how. So this is why you do what you do. I do what I do because we're not criticizing anybody for not knowing. We just want to help them move, move the ball. Well, and we know that the rules are complex and people don't know what all the options are. And really we have to spend our time um, teaching people the questions that they didn't know they even needed to ask. Right. Yep. And, and teaching the attorneys to ask the questions so the clients can answer the questions. Absolutely. Because the attorneys are not asking the questions either. Um, and and I, I don't know if it's because we're just like so focused on maybe the, the human family or the assets. Um, I it is not unusual for somebody to come in and meet with me for the first time. And the first thing they do is they lay down a list of all their assets as if that's what they're coming in to plan for. And I push that aside because until I have an opportunity to get to know them and their family and who's doing what to whom and how does everybody get along and, you know, what are the dynamics that we're dealing with? Um, I don't care how much money they have. Um, right. It could be $5 or $5 billion. Um, people are going to fight over it just the same. Um, I loved one mom who uh, had a, four kids in her family and she wrote them down on a piece of paper and next to each one of them she wrote, either oil or water, so that I would know how the kids got along. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was clever. Very clever. Not, you know, just letting you identify who might be throwing the um, spoke in the wheel. Right. And I tell people, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly about your kids. Um, and they're like, well, why do you want to know that? And I said, because when you're not here, I want to know who the troublemakers are. Right. 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 And and which ones have have um, a, a lesser ability to communicate or feel heard? Because I'm sure that's the process that you provide. You provide that that ability to listen to your client fully, but also to listen to them about which of their their kids or their relatives, whomever is going to come forward, um, needs to feel heard because most of the disagreement of oil and vinegar or oil and water um, happen because they have fear and they feel unheard. And so you're such a wonderful listener that I'm sure it's just a matter of, okay, I hear you and tell me why you feel this way. And it sometimes, at least in my practice, diffuses that immediate, you know, I've got to fight for myself because they finally have somebody who's outside the family who's listening to them. Uh -huh. Well, and I, I'm also seeing a trend where a lot of families now are making decisions not to have family member, um, personal representatives, executors, successor trustees, um, because they're just trying to take the dog out of the hunt. Yep. Oh, thank God. Yes, absolutely. Because it really, you know, as, as I said before, my children love my dogs, want my dogs, but neither of them can take them. So they're in the, the list. However, right now they can't take the dogs. And if that changes, the people who can take the dogs know that and know that they can give the dogs back. However, that might never change. And you always have to make that redundant plan. It is so important. And of course, you have to publish it because if you make the plan right and you don't publish it with your attorney or your vet or the people who are the caregivers so that they know, well, if this one can't do it, I know there's that one. Um, it really doesn't serve the purpose that you hope it to serve. No, and I, I love the P part of your map plan because that publishing part is so important because people don't know we have a plan if we just 
hide it somewhere. Yeah, put um, it in Well, my attorney knows. Well, okay, but really your husband needs, your wife needs to know, your kids need to know, your vet needs to know, because if somebody brings the dog to the vet, um, they need to be on the list. Well, and, and the other thing I thought you said once upon a time that was so important was, and the people who are the caregivers need to know each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I have some pet sitters coming on in a couple of days to take care of my cats and dogs. And I've got two shifts. I've got, you know, somebody for the first week and somebody else for the second week. And they need to know each other. Yeah. Because if there's a problem anytime during either one of their weeks, um, they need to be able to reach out to each other. And I think that that is so important. The other question that comes up a lot, and we may be running out of time, is, you know, how do I know how much money to leave um, for my pets? And there's a lot of ways that you can calculate that. I mean, I know sometimes people say, oh, I'll leave my cat in a thousand dollars. Well, is that really the right of money, amount of money to leave? How old's your cat? Um, is it one or is it 20? Um, if it's 20, maybe a thousand dollars is okay. If it's one and it lives to be 20, um, that may not even come close to providing for the lifetime care of that animal. And I know shelters see this all the time where people will um, drop off an animal and the shelter will say, you know, be lovely if you could give us a donation um, for the lifetime love and care of this pet. And they say, well, here's $25. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not really going to work. Um, you know what, Peg, you're absolutely right. We're running out of time, but I want you to come back because that's an important question to answer because I've had so many attorneys ask me that question um, and clients ask me that question. And I don't know the answer to that. So we're going to have you back so that you can help us navigate how you evaluate what you leave for the one-year-old cat versus the 12-year-old cat, because the one-year-old cat's going to live longer, God willing, and the creek don't rise. Right. But also the 12-year-old cat's going to have more health issues. So what do you do? Do you buy insurance and send it off with the person who's going to take it so that the cat is covered? Who knows? Thank you so much, Peggy. I love talking to you. We could talk forever, you know. Um, so thank you to Peggy Hoyt of Hoyt and Bryant and also of the Animal Care Trust USA. So much to talk about. Please follow her uh, at Peggy Hoyt. No, uh, it- the All my children wear fur coats. You can find me on Twitter in a bunch of places. Peggy Hoyt, Kids in Fur Coats, uh, Legacy for Your Pet, Hoyt and Brian. Just put in my name, you'll probably find me too many times. That, no, not too many times because redundancy is my middle name. There you go, right. Absolutely. So we'll have you back because I really think that number is an important thing to talk about. So thank you so much, Peggy, for being here and for sharing so much wonderful information about what to do. I mean, really from a perspective of how you, how you go about it, if you're in Central Florida, look Peggy up. And if you're not in Central Florida and you have a trust in a state attorney, have your trust in a state attorney look Peggy up because she'll help walk them through. Happy to um, do it. Yeah, I know. I mean, both of us share so much because it really is about getting it done, not about doing it ourselves because we right. would be crazy if we did it all ourselves. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcasts. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.